Here in the seventh inning, the Yankees are trailing 2-0. That is the key man. Hit high in the air to left field. Going to the corner, Yaspinski. It's over the wall. It's a home run for Bucky Dent. Yankees get the lead 3-2. Deep to left, Yastrzemski will not get it, it's a home run! A three-run home run for Bucky Dent, the Yankees now lead it by a score of three to two. Well, the last guy on the ball club you'd expect to hit a home run, just hit one into the screen, Bucky Dent. Hi there everyone, I'm Bucky Dent. Welcome to this week's episode of Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. We have a really special show planned for you today as we are going to be chatting with Aaron Effin Boone. He has the same nickname as me, Bucky Effin Dent. Um, he hit a big home run for the Yankees, and uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with him today. So stick around. It's going to be a great conversation. But before we get there, uh, I have also with me Yankees Magazine Deputy Editor, John Schwartz, he's on the line. What's going on, Bucky? How you doing, buddy? I'm looking forward to talking to him. I, uh, uh, I've been waiting for a, all year to talk to him, but uh, it's going to be fun. I don't know how familiar you are with the movie Clockwork Orange, it's but a- uh, I'm I'm really picturing this as just like the perfect torture scene for Boston Red Sox fans moving forward. Like I feel like if a if a if a kid in Boston needs to be punished, I feel like they should be played this episode on a loop. Um, really, just just let's just dig right in there. I think <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, um, so oh, man. let's get Aaron on the line and talk with him. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for coming on, man. I mean, uh, I'm so excited to, to talk to you. You know, we have a lot in common, and uh, we both got the same middle initial, effing. <laughs> we both hit big home runs. Yeah, and, you know, I just wanted to, you know, talk baseball and have fun and tell stories. And, and, you know, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about managing, you know, and you come from a baseball family. So I have, Great. Uh, you know, John Schwartz is on with us. What's going on, Aaron? How are you, John? Good to hear from you. Yeah, you too. We had uh, Swisher on last week, and we we're just talking about what a riot this guy is. I don't know what he, I don't know what he takes, but he is amazing. It is amazing, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, he. I say to him, you know, what do you? I've never seen him off. Me neither. You know, it's, first time I met him really was at the uh, old timers, and I was like, oh my god, what's this guy on? But, uh, but anyway, you came from a baseball family, and your dad played and managed, or you know, your grandfather, you know, played and. Uh, when did you decide that you possibly wanted to take a chance at managing? I know you retired, you went up in the booth, and then what, what gave you the itch to manage? Yeah, I would say it probably was about a year before the end of my tenure at, at, uh, at ESPN. Um, I just I felt like more and more from the booth, I was, I was kind of looking at it from a manager's perspective, or I was trying to kind of look ahead in the game from a manager's perspective. And, and I think anytime you're broadcasting, you're you're trying to kind of manage along in the game with, with both clubs. So I started to get the itch a little bit, probably about a year before, for the end of my run at, at ESPN. And then in the playoffs in 2017, so once the playoffs hit for ESPN, we switch over to radio. So I did the division series, one of the championship series, and then 
on into the World Series. And that year happened to be the Astros and the Dodgers. And A.J. Hinch went to Stanford. We played on Team USA junior team going in into college. He was at Stanford when I was at USC. Dave Roberts was at UCLA when I was at USC. So we're all the same age, kind of friends over the years. And, you know, in those playoff scenarios, you're meeting with the manager every day. You know, you get your 10, 15 minutes in their office. And being friends with those guys and kind of starting to get that itch to be back with a team and to be back part of, you know, just being part of a team again, um, I think it kind of fast-forwarded that a little bit for me. Because in a lot of ways, talking to these guys, it felt like I was looking in the mirror a little bit. So actually, I had kind of made the decision at that point that I was going to go try and get on with a team in some way, shape, or form. Um, wasn't necessarily managing, frankly. I mean, I, I definitely started to have that itch, but I end up meeting with a couple of teams about joining in, in a front office capacity, and I actually was was lined up to leave ESPN and join a club in their front office when Brian Cashman called me. Hmm. Interesting. So Brian, you know, called me. I was. I remember I'm sitting at a at one of my son's football games, you know, Pop Warner football games. I'm sitting there and get a call from Brian. He says, Hey, do you want to interview for this? I said, yeah. So the team that I was going to go join the front office, you know, I told them and they're like, they were supportive of that. Great. Go see where that takes you. And, and, and it really kind of happened really quickly from that point, you know, we scheduled uh, the interview and I, I bet two or three weeks later, I'm named manager of the Yankees and I'm moving my family from West coast to East coast. And it was kind of a whirlwind, but I I would say it was a kind of a year process of wanting to get back in the game from the team side of things, what that was, I wasn't really sure. And it just kind of evolved pretty quickly at the end into becoming manager. Let me ask you a question because you know, your dad managed, he, he, he went through it all and stuff like that. How much did you rely on him? And, and, and even today, how much do you talk to him about the game and, and baseball and, and the way to, you know, baseball's going? Uh, I'm, I'm sure that he's a world of knowledge. You know, I know your dad, but I never really had a chance to talk to him a lot about baseball. You know, I've run into him, you know, a few times because my son played with, with Washington, but um, I'm sure that, you know, um, he had some great advice for you. No question. And, and, you know, I actually just had a missed call from my dad and we talked baseball all the time, but honestly, it, through that process, I didn't lean on him a whole lot or necessarily go to him a whole lot for advice, you know, a little bit here and there, but more, you know, I, I think him being my dad and probably being my biggest influence in baseball I think I'm a product in in some ways of him. A lot of, you know, I'm sure I've taken a lot that he's passed on to me or taught me into an interview setting or into the dugout in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't necessarily go through the process or even now managing, I don't necessarily go to him all the time for, you know, advice or specific, you know, we we talk the game a lot. and, And that's kind of the extent of it he was just kind of supportive along the way and, and always he'd check in with me. Hey, did you hear from, you hear from the Yankees yet? And when I told him, you know, cool story is when I did get the job, when, when Brian said, 
called me and said, we're going to go with you and move in that direction. You know, one of the first, the first call I made was to my dad. You know, at, at that point, I'd probably seen my dad cry a few times in his life. And, and when I told him, he was on the golf course at the time. And I just said, Hey, Yankees called. And I, I kind of downplayed it. I was acting like I didn't get it. And, and I said, yeah, Ashman called. He goes, Oh, he did. I said, yeah, I got it. <laughs> and, uh, and he started laughing, but the laughter started to turn into him crying. And I was like, geez, dad. Oh, and then, wow. and then I said, you're not allowed to say anything yet. So whoever you're playing golf with, you're not allowed to say anything, but it was a pretty cool and memorable moment when I did tell him that. So here's what I want to know from both of you guys, because look, when you're a fan, when you're a writer, obviously we all think we could manage. Um, I'm sure when you're a player, you definitely think you can manage. So for both of you guys who, who, who made that transition, what's the biggest difference from what you expect the manager's job to be like when you're playing and playing for a manager, and then all of a sudden all the responsibility is yours? What surprises you? You know, I tried to, in my head, prepare myself for the unexpected, but I think it is ultimately the unexpected and all that goes into it that has at times nothing to do with between the lines or on the baseball field. Ultimately you're managing, you know, 50, 60 people. When you talk about players, coaches, extended staff, clubhouse personnel. So there's so many things that come up in the course of a season that may or may not have anything to do with baseball because you are, it's kind of your extended family. Um, so there's so many things that ultimately come across your desk that how could you possibly account for, right? You try and just create as stable a situation as I possibly can so that I'm emotionally prepared to deal with whatever may come across the desk and hopefully handle it in a way that allows us to flourish and continue to thrive. So the unexpected of, of things, you there's no way you could possibly account for or have prepared for that come across your desk that you've got to be able to handle in real time. I agree. And, you know, my thing was that I went to the minor leagues and got got experience. You know, I, I say this all the time. You know, Dick Hauser was the one that talked me into going down and managing. And his big thing was to go down there, learn to manage, learn to, you know, to manage the game, the speed of the game, manage your players, learn to deal with the press. He says, learn to learn everything you can about, about managing. And uh, I always tell the story and I told it to Nick because uh, I didn't realize he wanted to manage. He had aspirations of managing. And I said, you know, the first day I've been a coach and, you know, my baseball school, but, you know, the first day you walk out there and you got like, 40 players standing there waiting for you to say something. It's like, holy <laughs> crap, you know, I'm in, I'm in charge of this team and I got to know everything about what's going on. But, you know, I, I said it last week. I said one of the biggest surprises was, and I don't know if this happened to you, but I, I've had some funny things happen to me. My first game that I managed, I managed against Mike Torres and he's on an independent team and Bill Mombaquette's my pitching coach and I'm standing in the dugout. It's about seventh inning. And he looked at me and he goes, you want to get somebody up, warmed up? <laughs> And I was like so locked into the game that I didn't even pay attention though about wanting to get a pitcher warmed up. So, uh, you know, the speed of the game. But um, those are things that, you know, uh, you got to learn. And I was going to ask you, you know, being that, you know, you didn't have the manager experience. What were some of the surprises like that that, that kind of caught you where you go, oh, wow, you know, um, I got to be on top of this? Yeah, I, I think I think it's. For me, it was developing that rhythm 
and conversation and how to communicate within the course of the game in real time with my coaches. So how do I communicate with the pitching coach? How do I communicate with my bench coach? What information do I want from them? In doing it in a concise way, how do we speak to each other to where we don't get bogged down with things? Like, so I think that part of it from an experience standpoint is really important to me and was important and something that I felt like we had to grow into and for that matter, is am still growing into. Like, how, how do we get to be the most efficient on the bench communicating with one another? How do I say this to the pitching coach in very short order and not using a lot of words? Same with my bench coach. The things that he knows that I want from him in a moment, and maybe ahead of time, you know, I'll say a word to him and he'll shoot out something like whether I want his opinion mm-hmm. or whether I want some information that we're thinking about. How do you communicate with your coaches and getting that up to speed? I felt like took some time and is, is constantly evolving and is something I think is really important. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, I mean, when I went from managing to coaching, you know, I went from, you know, running to being on the opposite side. When I got fire, fired by New York, you know, I went to St. Louis and coached third base for Joe Torre. And, you know, that's the same thing. You know, you're trying to understand the rhythm of what he wants in the game, you know, this, you know, what what he's trying to anticipate what he's going to do in the game. And then I went from third base to being the bench coach for Johnny Oates for seven years. And, you know, like you said, you know, trying to get that communication open line of what, of what he wants and, from me as a coach and, and him as a manager. So uh, I, I think that's, that, that's really critical in, in, uh, in understanding that. But, um, you know, I was always fascinated, you know, how guys transitioned from, you know, doing what they're doing like yourself to not managing, to going down in the dugout, you know, what you thought the most difficult things were, what the things were that you kind of, you know, understood. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's another thing, you know, I feel so blessed to have the coaching staff that I do and the extended coaching staff, the support staff that, you know, I feel like something that's really important to me is, is having a coaching staff that you can trust in. And, and I think if you ask them, I try not to micromanage what they're doing. I have a lot of faith in what they're doing. I certainly understand what they're doing and teaching and talking about. But I try and I think it's really important to empower them to really do their job the way they know how to do it, the way they want to do it. So therefore, you know, having that relationship with them, you know, like I said, in game, having that nonverbal communication too, not only in the dugout, but, you know, the, the relationship I've formed with Phil Nevin, my third base coach, Reggie Willits, my first base coach, and the way we look at each other, the timing and the rhythm that you talk about, those things are really important in the course of the game, how you're going to work the running game, who you're going to communicate in different situations. Those are all things that are, I think, really important. And, and I felt like one of the most important challenges to get up to speed with when I did go into the in, into this job. Yeah, I, I always said, you know, I, I think a manager today has to be able to have the coaches that he's comfortable with and, and, and bringing them in. And I think teams need to allow that because that's so important to surround yourself with people, like you said, and I always said, loyalty, knowledge, and work ethic were the three things that were valuable to me as, as a manager that I wanted from coaches. And even when I went to, you know, to be a coach, 
you know, I carry those things, you know, you carry them with you, you know, so um, you're, you're loyalty, and, knowledge and work ethic. Yep, I love the, that. Those I, are, I think it's so important because, you know, one of the things I do say to my coaches as well along those lines is, hey, and, and especially early on when I was, you know, really new at this was, hey, you have you have the freedom to come in here and let me have it. Disagree with something tell me I'm full of it, whatever, or tell me where I'm wrong or where you disagree. But when we walk out there together, we are together. And that's where that loyalty comes into play. And I think that's so important. So you're saying it's a lot like parenting? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this, all, this all sounds awfully familiar is all I'm it's, saying. It's like parenting. But, uh, um, but let, let's fast forward, you know, to – uh, the last the last three years, you, you've gotten right there. You, you're getting so close, mm-hmm. you know, to, to going all the way and getting to the World Series. And, you know, you, you've had three teams, all three different were different. And as you see them grow, what do you think now is the one thing that is so important to get get you over the hump? As disappointing and as frustrating as the endings are, when you don't ultimately win the ultimate prize and you know, you have a great team and you know, there's different things I think of from 18, 19 this year, you know, this year was so unique just, just with all the COVID, you know, the one thing I try to keep in mind is how razor thin the difference is between ultimately winning it all and, and, and falling short. And, you know, in our case, we, we lost to the Red Sox in 18 who go on to win the world series the Astros last year and they, you know, get to game seven of the world series, the Rays this year, and that's the team. So as much as I go into every year and I go into every off season, okay, ultimately how's the team going to shake out? What's our personnel going to be, which doesn't have a lot to do with me (laughs) ultimately, but now how are we going to improve off of what we did and and how are we going to get individuals to improve in their game. And, and you're not going to generally speaking, make giant leaps. So how can we improve on the margins? So I think sometimes the difference in, in winning and losing, especially in, in the games against the best teams at the end of the year are, are some of the little things that you execute that allow you to win that one run game when it's going to be a really tough game, when you're up against a really tough pitcher. So it's, it's constantly trying to improve on the, on the margins and where that starts is in spring training. So going into spring training, having our plan in place, like where do we really want to focus on? Obviously you have your, you're playing your game schedule in spring training. You, you do your different things, PFP and working on your defense and cutoffs and real, do all the normal things that are critical and important. Okay. Now where are the other areas that we really want to hyper-focus on that, are important now that we focus on and commit to that are going to help us improve on the edges a little bit that hopefully show up for us at the end of the season and in October that in a tight series against another great team are ultimately going to put us over the top. So that's a lot of the planning that goes into for me as we head into spring training, like where do, where are a couple areas we really want to focus on that are small parts of the game, but, that we know are going to come up big in, in in some tight situations. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, that's where you know people when 
they go to watch spring training they're seeing pitchers doing pfp you know and it looks like it's monotonous but you know those are the things that the little things that are going to wind up beating you if you don't do them right and if you don't you know if you don't run the bases right if you don't you know uh, hit to cut off, man. Those are those are things that are eventually going to catch up to you and beat you. And the teams that do them right and execute them right are, are going to wind up winning. You know, so you're so right. I, I totally I totally agree with that. But this year was such a tough year. I can't even imagine trying to manage. You know, where you go into spring training and now all of a sudden you stop and then you know you got to start all over again. But the one good thing about it though was it gave a chance for some of your guys to get healthy and come back. It did. You know, we, we heading into the season, you know, we we're going to be down. Obviously, Seve went down early, um, but Paxton, Judge, Stanton. I mean, now it seems so long ago, I'm probably missing a couple others. But it did allow a few of those guys to get healthy. Unfortunately, we ran into the injury bug a little bit in the middle of the season again. But for the most part, we went into the postseason fairly healthy. We never were able to get Paxton back, and I think that was a big deal. We lost Tommy Canely, who's become such an important part of our bullpen early on in the in the season, which hurt. See, I, I think I think when you lost Canely, that really hurt you because, from what I understand, you know he was a, a great force in the clubhouse, you know, and he he did the things that you need to, needed him to do really, and he was throwing the ball so well. And he got you to the back end of your bullpen where guys could stay there. And uh, I thought when he, yeah. he went down, it, it changed your whole, um, you know, philosophy as far as how do you how do you use your bullpen? You know, so I thought he was one of the key guys that, that went down that hurt you. And, and he's that guy you can throw out against a righty, a lefty. It doesn't matter in the biggest spot at in any inning in the game where, okay, we need to shut this down right now. And Tommy was that guy. And then ultimately, like you said, adds, adds length to your pen and allows the guys that should be at the back end to stay in that back end and in, in shorter roles. So we definitely missed him. And, and he is one of those, he's a big personality but somebody that's been so good for our clubhouse and, and embraced in our clubhouse, his personality, he's crazy, but he's beloved in our room. And yeah, we, we, we definitely missed him. I thought some of your kids, you know, that you got a chance to pitch, you know, like, like Nelson and, and, and Clark Schmidt and some, you know, Michael King, you know, some of those guys, you know, it's, it's not a hundred and, you know, 62 game year, but they got into some really important games for you. And and you had to be pretty, pretty happy and excited, you know, seeing these guys get in there and perform in certain situations. And uh, uh, because now it looks like you got, you know, you got some kids that are, down the road are going to help you. No question. And, and, you know, in Nelson and King's case, you know, they pitched in some postseason games and pitched well in postseason games. In fact, I thought Michael King's last outing that he had, I believe it was in game four against the Rays, pitched really, really probably as good as he pitched all year. And then Nick Nelson had some some outings in the postseason where he pitched really effectively and and I think those are going to be things that are really valuable for those guys moving forward. Obviously, Davey Garcia came up and did a great job for us, getting the chance to start and kind of kicking the door in. Clark Schmidt, we're, we're so excited about, you know, still probably needs some more seasoning. Obviously, him not having a minor league season this year 
is frustrating. You want to see those guys continue to develop because in Clark's case, he's a guy we, we're pretty confident is going to be a really good pitcher in this league for a long time. But you're right. For those guys to get up and get a little bit of experience to varying degrees, hopefully is something that will help them moving forward because those are guys that are going to play a big role for us, we know, uh, in 2021. And, and for them to kind of start that clock and have something under their belt, I think is important. You know, you mentioned the lack of a minor league season. Obviously, everything was weird about last year. So, yeah. Uh, you know, su- surprise. Um, but I imagine this is going to be a very bizarre offseason for you, too, in a lot of ways, in terms of what you are and are not able to do. But also coming off a year in which a lot of the young guys in the system weren't able to do much of anything. Yeah. What do you think is kind of the lasting impact of this lost year at the level below? what was going on at that alternate site. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think in some ways the alternate site, let's not mistake it for a minor league season by any means. For sure. Yeah. yeah. But that said, I do feel like the staff we had down there and, and a credit to the players that were down there were able to get quite a bit out of that. So that was at least something. But there's no question that, you know, I think the organizations that are able to, in some way, shape, or form, communicate, teach from afar this year, those are going to be important player development moments moving forward that, hey, were we, were we still able to touch some players? Were we still able to advance some players that had a lost season in some way, shape, or form? Were we able to be creative through Zoom calls, through some teaching techniques, those are things that are going to be more important, hopefully, that we've done well or done right that will set them up going into this year where hopefully they do have a minor league season that they can hit the ground running a little bit more. Because in the end, my heart goes out to those guys. These are the guys, you know, some of the top prospects that didn't get to play. You know, looking back at my career and Bucky, I'm sure the same, like missing out on a minor league season and 20 years old, 21, 22, 20, whatever it may be. I mean, that my heart breaks for those guys because that, you know, that's messing with your dream and, and, and that's unfortunate. And hopefully, like I said, hopefully we're able to make some really good strides and impact these guys in a way that they're set up for success going into their next season. One guy that I, I just think his whole demeanor and everything changed was Clint Frazier. I thought he, was a different person. I think you guys did a great job of trying to get him to understand, you know, what it is to be a Yankee. And and when he came back up, he was, he looked like he was a different, different player. Uh, I'm so proud of Clint Frazier. By the way, Clint Frazier was a finalist in the gold glove category. And if you would have said that a year or two ago, I think people would have told you you were crazy, but that's a credit to him. First of all, it's a credit to the the kind of athlete he is. I mean, this is a guy that's strong, that's fast, that has a great throwing arm. We know about the, you know, the hitting skills and the bat speed and all that. But this is a guy that has worked his butt off really for the last couple of years. And I think when we started this season, and, and like you said, we had a lot of guys get healthy heading into the season. So we're fairly healthy going into the year. So it was just a crowded situation. So, you know, I, I remember we're in Washington, D.C. for that first series, and I feel like it was the third game or so where we had to send Clint down to the alternative site. And I knew it was going to be a difficult conversation 
because frankly he had had an excellent spring. He was he was having a good summer camp. There frankly just wasn't a spot for him at the time. And you know we end up having a long conversation, difficult conversation, candid conversation, and especially when you consider what this year was and not going even to a minor league team, but going to the alternative site. To Clint Frazier's credit, as angry as he may have been, as frustrated as he may have been, add whatever adjective he may have been in there, to his credit, he went down the next day. And when we tracked what he was doing and talked to what was going on down there and watched video of what was going on down there, it was a guy that went down there and worked his butt off. And eventually, you know, an opportunity presented itself a couple weeks later and he absolutely kicked the door in and, and took advantage of it. And that's a credit to him and his maturity and how far along he's come physically, mentally, emotionally in this game to be able to take advantage when it was a difficult set of circumstances in front of him. And I'm just proud of the way he's played because he is going to be a really good player in this league for a long time. Yes, he isn't. Talking about gold gloves, how can Geo get overlooked? Oh, my God. Yeah, right. The plays that guy made in, uh, the, you know, the defense. I mean, I played by, you know, alongside uh, some, yeah. some pretty good third basemen, you know, and I saw some pretty good third basemen. But, I mean, some of the plays that this guy has made uh, this past year, I can't believe that he, he got overlooked. I mean, he, he's phenomenal over there. He's special. He really is. And, you know, as a fellow third baseman, I've, I've really gotten to enjoy and kind of marvel at watching him and, and the ease with which he plays the position for the last couple of years. And as good as he was in 2019 over there, I thought he improved this year. You know, he did some things that I think helped him with, from a range standpoint. So he was getting to more balls this year. But he is he's a lot of fun to watch play the position. The way I describe it is Geo plays third base like he's slipping into a warm bath. It just comes easy to him over there. He's just got great hands and transfer and he just plays the game with an ease and a joy that is infectious. What about your shortstop? You know, what what do you what do you think? Or you you see him as playing shortstop? I know he's your shortstop now, or is there a chance that you guys might might move him? Or, you know, what's your thought on him? Well, I, I do think he is capable of doing it. Um, he, I think he certainly went through some growing pains at the position this year. But I also think you can chalk a lot of that up to what this year was, you know, True. from a COVID and everything standpoint. The stop and start, the you know, starting spring training, stopping and then coming back and ramping up in summer camp. And, and I think sometimes what gets lost is this is a 23-year-old kid that's already had massive success at the big league level. And sometimes there's some learning curves and some growing pains at different spots. So physically, I think he absolutely has the capabilities of, of playing the position and playing it well. I think it's just going to come down, as you know, at shortstop, such an important part of that position is the routine. And, and, and getting great at the routine. And Absolutely. Absolutely. If, if he can do that, he can stay there and thrive. If, if at some point he's got to go back to second, we absolutely know he can do that. But I do believe he can get there from a shortstop standpoint. Hopefully we go into next year with a more normal situation, a norm, more normal year, and he can continue to grow and develop as – such a young player that's already been at the big leagues and kind of 
developed on the fly as well at the big league level. So we'll continue to work alongside of him. And, and if he can master that routine, then he's going to thrive at the position. I think that's what you said. I think is so important. I used to preach that all the time to to my younger infielders when, when I was an infielder coach, you know, is that it's your daily routine. Like you'll go in there and you'll hit 200 balls in the cage. But when you go out on the, and I used to try to tell them, when I go out on the field, this is my office. I don't want anybody around me when I'm taking ground balls and I'm going to take so many here, so many there, so many double plays. I'm going to do them, but when I take them, I'm going to take them with the thought that, you know, I'm not going to bobble any. And, and I think, you know, what kids don't understand is, is going in September and you know because you manage teams now and some of them have the, you know, that pedigree of going into September with a chance to win. You can't make mistakes, you know, and you have to go to the ballpark and you have to be in every game and you have to go out on the field and do your work because, it, you know, one mental mistake could cost you the pennant. And, and that's yep. what I've always tried to preach to kids when they're, when they're taking ground balls is try not to bobble the ball, concentrate on, on this. And, and I think that routine is so important, like you said, for, for young players, especially at shortstop. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. And I, and I think Glaber's done a great job of developing a really good routine that he has now. Now it's, it's about continuing to kind of fine-tune that, own that, and then turn that into – now turning all routine plays that you should make that you nail those down, but he certainly has the ability to do that. Yeah, I I I think he does too. You know, I just think that you know going from second, you know, over the short, back to second, you know, and and then now with the short season, like you said, it it makes it difficult, you know. But um, I think with a you know, hopefully next year we won't have all this COVID stuff, and you have a good yeah. spring training and and a full year to to be able to you know, to play the position of full year is, is really going to, is going to help him. So here's the thing. I, 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 we've been talking for a little while here. Meanwhile, I, I, I'm just this guy sitting here with Bucky Dent and Aaron Boone on the phone. And I really don't think we're doing quite enough water torture for Red Sox fans right now. <laughs> so I, I, I just, you know, Bucky, I'm curious from your perspective, because you guys share this crazy thing. And, and I'm wondering if you, if you bring yourself back to 2003 and you watch that home run fly do you immediately say like, yeah, I know what that feels like. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'll tell you the truth. I was watching the game and I'm, uh, when the game went in extra innings, I, I said, somebody's got to hit a home run with a B. It's either going to be Bernie or it's going to be Boone. And I'll be doggone if I didn't doze off for a few seconds. And I looked up and I saw Aaron running around the bases and I said, did he just hit a home run? And then, you know, I finally woke up and go, oh my God, he did. You know, there you go. He kept the bees alive, you know, but sure. I knew, I, but, but the difference was he was in Yankee stadium, you know, where he True. was getting cheered. I was in Boston getting a middle initial that he now has over there also. But, uh, uh, sure. I, 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 uh, got chills, you know, when, when he hit that because, uh, I know what it felt like. Well, I, I think, though, there's no question. Doing that at Yankee Stadium, uh, I mean, you know what it's like to be in that place when it's rocking and to have a moment like that at Yankee Stadium is amazing. But but I would spin it on to you. Like, that's got to be pretty cool to be at Fenway Park in the shadows, you know, where you're coming back on this, where you've tracked this team down all year and caught them now and to throw that dagger at him. I can just, you know, picture you running around third base with the shadows and 
knowing what Fenway Park and that rivalry is like to 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 silence them to anger them um man that that's in, in its own twisted way probably just as cool <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't know if you remember though we, we we got a chuckle though in 2004 I threw out the first pitch you know yeah it's a Red Sox uh, George you know called me got me off the plane and wanted me to stay over and throw out the first pitch and then we, a couple of years later we're standing in a dugout we're getting ready to throw out the first pitch I think it was against Minnesota and I looked at you and I said you know what Booney, if they don't win this game, I'll never throw out another first pitch. <laughs> you know, I said, I don't want to be a jinx to him, but, you know, but yeah, we, we got a little bit of chuckle about that. Aaron, I know we got to let you go pretty soon, but what is it do you think that you guys take from the the Yankees connection and, and the, the way that you two in particular are so connected through this moment and through the way you're regarded in Boston? But, you know, what what, is, what do you find to be the thing that you've noticed over the years that is special about being in New York, being part of the Yankees, being part of the Yankees family? Well, I think it's the history. I think it's the pride. I think it's the, well, you know, I played for the boss when I came over and there was, you know, the bottom line was winning. And there, the history, um, the pride, um, me growing up as a kid, being a Yankee fan, always wanted to play for the Yankees. There's a certain standard that's set there. And you know when you go there, that there's there's certain things that you're going to have to do. You're going to have to carry yourself as a Yankee. You're going to have to look like a Yankee. You're going to have to be a Yankee. And you're going to have to play like a Yankee. And, you know, those are all the things. I mean, you can, you know, I came up with the White Sox, and it was a great organization. I loved it. But there's something different. There's a different standard when you put that Yankee uniform on. Um, there's a different expectations of, of playing there and and. I love it. You know, it's the pressure. It's the everything. It's 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 all about you know winning. And um, there's a lot of people that can't play there. I've always said you got to have alligator skin to play there. But um, those are the things that I I loved when I when I played there. I, I totally agree with that. And and you know one of the questions we always ask, and and you really wouldn't ask this anywhere else, is when we're considering drafting someone or making a trade for someone or signing a free agent. You know, it's not all, can he play, did he this, where do you play? One of the questions we always ask, and it's a real question, is do we think he can play in New York? Do we think he can play here and thrive as a Yankee? And, and you don't always know the answer, and sometimes you get surprised by who can and can't. But that's always a question that you have that you don't have in every other place. And and I think that's kind of awesome. It's because of what the NY means, it because of the pride of the Yankees and and what it is to wear the pinstripes. You know, I think another thing that has kind of blown me away over the years is the amount of people that you come across outside of the New York area that have a very strong opinion one way or the other, sometimes very polarizing. Some, some people hate you for it. Some people love you for it. But for a moment that Bucky and I had, and I, Bucky's a, you know, Yankee World Series MVP, but to have a moment and to have so many people that have come up to me uh, and had a story that tied them to that moment or was an intimate story about that moment on whatever side of the aisle, whether you hated it or you loved it, has always kind of blown me away. And it's been, what, 17 years and 
you know, not a week goes by that I don't bump into somebody that tells me a pretty cool story about uh, where they were, what it meant to them, what they were doing. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with it's the Yankees. Can I offer you mine? Sure. Because <laughs> <Go> <laughs> I think I might have told Bucky this story once. This is a, a back in 2003, I was working for Major League Baseball. And one of the key things was we were, we were putting out the World Series program. And, you know, we had everything ready to go except for the two teams who would be in the World Series. And when that last LCS game ended, we had to be ready to literally hit print to put in a couple of pages about who won and, and choose the right teams and print the right cover that had the right logos, yada, yada, yada. So game seven in 2003, it was this, it was the second game seven. And it just so happened that I spent the first six innings at Yankee Stadium watching a pretty weird baseball game. And then I had to leave to go to our printer in Times Square to hit print on the you know World Series program, uh, Red Sox versus Marlins. So I sat there in a <laughs> conference room about you know, eight miles away from where I had just been watching a remarkable baseball game and watched one of the greatest moments in Yankees history. And it's always been funny to me. And it was especially funny. I don't know if you remember, Aaron, last year when the team was in Oakland, you guys were going from Oakland to L.A. And one of the writers asked you about your favorite memories growing up going to Dodger Stadium. And I'll let you tell the story. But you actually mentioned your own very similar story of having to leave a pretty special game a little bit too early. Yeah, so that's 1988, the Kirk Gibson game. I was in high school. I think I was 88. I was a freshman in high school, maybe a sophomore. My brother, Brett, was at USC. And we, uh, we were going to that game one. And you know, my dad having played for the Angels, probably his last year with the Angels at that point, you know, we are not Dodger fans by any means, but we're going to the game. So we ride Brett's scooter from USC to Dodger Stadium. I'm on the back of a scooter weaving in and out of traffic. We're in the worst seats possible, upper deck and right field. I didn't say this for a long time, but eventually I did admit, I think we left in about the seventh inning, like LA fans. And uh, I eventually had to see the see the home run on TV, but for the longest time claimed I was there and saw it, but I didn't. I was only there for part of it. <laughs> well, I think we can both say we were at the games. We were at the it game. doesn't matter that we weren't there for we the were moment. At the games. Amen. And they and they put you in the upper deck. Well let me tell you a story. In eighty one I was hurt in the World Series and we go to Dodger Stadium and I get my tickets in and I was sitting down by the foul pole down the right field line. <laughs> so I, I said, man I guess I'm not important anymore. <laughs> we are, we are, honestly, we're in, we, I look at it every time I go to Dodger Stadium. We're in the upper deck in the last two seats in right field that you could be in. Those were our seats at the game. They were truly Bob Euchre seats. Yeah, the only thing is we were in the stadium, pal. <laughs> I got the last question. You know, I know you got to run, and this has been – I could ask you a hundred more questions. But, you know, what advice would you give to these seniors who are looking for college programs right now? I mean, you know, the – the programs, you know, got shut down. I mean, you know, there's young guys out there with dreams and you had a dream of playing in the big leagues. I had a dream of playing in the big leagues, you know, you know, what advice do you give them? They ask me all the time. And so I, I want to ask you the same question. Yeah. So I'm going through this. Actually, I have a senior in high school now who's a soccer player and we're go. actually kind of going through that right now. And, you know, I would just say, 
first of all, decide what's important to you. Is it a school that you've dreamt of playing for for a long time? Do you have aspirations of going on and playing professional baseball and maybe making a career out of it someday? Or is this, you know, something that you just want to go have the college experience? So I think trying to define what's important to you, you know, as far as your plans, and then as best you can trying to make a connection with choosing, you know, whether it's the coaching staff, whether it's the academic side, finding something that's, that's important to you on that front that is going to make your experience good. So I think just investigating, but defining and knowing what you, at this point, and it can always change, but knowing what you want to get out of your college experience. And that's different for everyone, and that's okay. And, but being true to that, and, and ultimately, um, you know, I tell my son, you know, this is ultimately your decision. I'm going to have my opinions about, I think you should go here or there or whatever, but it's ultimately, it's your decision and, and trying to have a good idea of what you want to get out of this, I, I think is important. I agree. But Aaron, I want to thank you so much for, you know, for coming on today. I know you're a busy man and I know this is your off season. You took time to, you know, come on and it's been a lot of fun and I hope we can do it again. And I hope you enjoy your off season with your family. And um, I hope, Santa Claus is good to you and brings you <laughs> some pictures or whatever, whatever your wishes are, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, but uh, I want to thank you for coming on and spending time with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Bucky. I appreciate our connection and, and the time we've, you know, just the little conversations we've had bumping into each other over the years. And I wish the best to you and John, good to see you as always. And uh, we'll see you down the road. Looking forward to seeing you in the spring, buddy. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks a lot. Wow, what a great interview! I love talking to uh, you know uh, to Aaron about you know baseball and just in general. You know, I mean, uh, he probably gets so many crazy different questions, but I like to just talk baseball and you know talk managing like we did today. You know, and pick guys' brains and you know uh, find out uh, you know what's going on and what makes him tick and you know why why you want to manage and you know it, it, it's a lot of fun doing that and uh, like I said over the time that we've been doing this you know we've had some terrific guests on and we've had some guys on that have kind of surprised us with certain things that they've said and I've really enjoyed it and I, I love talking to him today. Well it's like I said to you at the beginning I mean on the one hand obviously you put Bucky Dent and Aaron Boone together there's one thing everyone wants to hear about but you guys share so much in common, both in terms of like the very specific things, but also kind of like I was talking to you and Aaron about during the interview, there's just this sense that, you know, if you play in a lot of other places, that time you spend together with the Yankees, it it, it just, it, bind, it, it bonds you and binds you together forever, I think in a lot of ways. Well, I think big moments, you know, he had a big moment in New York and, and I had a, obviously a big moment in history. And I've always said sports is a, a game of moments, you know, and uh, you play for those moments, you know, when you're a kid, you play for those moments of saying I hit a big home run or I did this in, in the World Series. And we both had an experience of managing the Yankees. You know, his has obviously been a lot longer than mine and mine was in a different type of situation, but I would never say anything negative about it because I loved what I did, and it was one of my goals. And, you know, that's what sports is all about. It's about moments and, um, you know, in history. And, and you know, uh, we both share that, that one big moment. It's always a weird thing for me, I guess. And, and he, you just did touch on it. And I'm, I'm not trying to 
I don't know, make you feel bad. I don't, I don't think I would, but there's always a strange thing for me about having what is in some senses a perfect career with a team and then wanting to manage that team because you can count on one hand the number of managerial careers that end happily. You know, I mean, managerial careers end when you get fired. And and that's not fun, I imagine, to get fired as a manager. And I just remember thinking when Boone got the job, it's just like, I could never imagine. Maybe this is why I'm not a big league manager or wasn't a big league player. I could never imagine wanting to take this perfect memory I had and change it, in a sense. Aaron Boone had a perfect Yankees career. Like, why would you change that? But I, th- I guess that's because, like he said, you know, you just you want to be back in the arena. And if you can be that with the New York Yankees, how do you not do that? You like challenges. You know, I'm sure that's it. He likes challenges. I love the challenge. I've been a teacher my whole life. And I got into managing, and one of my goals was to be a big league manager. And I got an opportunity to do it, even though it wasn't very long. And uh, uh, I still got a chance to do it, but I had a long career as a coach. And, and that's what it's all about. You love the, the, the fire. You love being in the fire. You, you love the trying to win, you know, and uh, that's, that's what makes you tick. Well, Bucky, this one was a long time coming. I think when we... You know, we're first brainstorming this one. Obviously, we put exclamation points next to Aaron Boone's name. It was a, it was a one that we definitely had to do. And man, it was fun listening to you guys talk about that stuff and the things that you share. That's it was a lot of fun, and uh, hope we can do it again next year and uh, see what happens. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Bucky, and I'll speak to you soon. I'll talk to you later, buddy. And everyone else, thanks for listening to another episode of Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. Before you go, I want to tell you more about the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. If you liked hearing from Bucky and Aaron today, you should also check out the Yankees Magazine Podcast, where we break down some of our written stories from each new magazine and, of course, talk Yankees baseball. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcast or at yankees.com slash podcast. Leave us a review, leave us a rating. It really helps. You can even send us your thoughts over email, podcast at yankees.com. And for Yankees Magazine subscribers, we hope that you'll take a chance in the weeks and months coming up to check out some of the offers we have for the holidays. We really are about to launch some really great holiday offers where you can subscribe to Yankees Magazine or renew a subscription and get things like free tickets or just a lot of other publications that we're putting out. You can get some really special gifts, and we hope you'll take a look at it. So call 800-GO-YANKS for details, or you can go to yankees.com slash publications. We also would urge you to check out the 2020 official New York Yankees yearbook, which is a very special publication we were proud to put out at the end of the season. We hope you'll take a look. And if you'd like to see our content online, get a taste of it at yankees.com slash magazine. There you'll find our latest features to read from the magazine, and we're also on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine. Give us a follow and be up to date with every podcast and magazine we produce. That's it. See you next time and go Yanks. Hi, this is Luke Voigt. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much and go Yankees.